Welcome to the Tub Talk Sports Podcast. I am your host, Donovan Place, and I'm joined here by my co-hosts, Ben Schmidt and Colin Hansel. Today's episode, we're going to go over the big blockbuster Nolan Arenado trade and who could possibly be going to the Rockies as it has not been announced yet. We're going to talk a little NBA, college basketball, do a little This Week in Sports, and then follow it up with our new segment, Top 5. This episode is brought to you by Amens Engineering, specializing in civil engineering and land surveying, serving the greater Phoenix metropolitan area. If you or your business is expanding in the Valley of the Sun, you need Amens. You can go to their website at amenspro.com, A-M-E-N-T, pro.com. All right, we're going to jump right into it. The big news coming out of yesterday, Nolan Arenado, star third baseman for the Rockies, been an MVP candidate for years now, is now being traded to the St. Louis Cardinals, as reported by multiple baseball insiders. Um, No one yet has been named going to the Rockies yet, so I think we're going to predict that here in a minute. But what are your initial thoughts for Arenado with the Cardinals? Well, this is huge for the Cardinals because this is, in my opinion, gives the Cardinals the best chance to win the NL Central because they right now are the only ones that have tried. Um, This could be one of the worst division winners, potentially, whoever comes out of it. Um, We know the Pirates are selling. They're in a rebuild. They're not going to contend. The Cubs look to be selling but still have some pieces in a week to division a week division to still compete but anyway they were still selling as well we've seen them not bring guys back let shorter walk lester walk so they're not necessarily going for it the reds who i think some people thought might go for it have traded away their closure in rice glaciers and then have not acquired a shortstop which was their top priority and they're going to lose Trevor bauer it looks like so they're not going for it so the cardinals saw an opportunity like hey this division is completely up for grabs we could be the only team to actually go for it and they made a move for arenado and it was a great move for them because it just based on the looks of it it doesn't look like that the rockies wanted much in return it looks initially like that it's just going to be more of a money sell-off from the Rockies' perspective. So for the Cardinals, why not go for it? You have a chance to where um, you're you're still likely going to be competing in a a tough division, not because everyone's good, but because um, no one really went for it. But this really, really gives the Cardinals um, a a chance to take advantage of the opportunity, and that is that there is no, no great contender in the NL Central. Yeah, you're right. This is a weaker division. And what we've seen with the Cubs, last year's division winner, um, losing a lot of their pitching staff, losing Schorber, um, a lot of key pieces. Uh, We now see them trying to take that next jump to become legit contenders. Uh, The Reds uh, don't have a shortstop right now, and they're going to lose Trevor Bauer. So the Cardinals last year – I mean, they had to deal with the whole COVID thing and making up games and playing a lot of games in a short amount of time, a lot of double headers. But we know what kind of team they are. We know what their pitching staff is capable of. Um, but their offense stunk last year. I'm pretty sure they're dead last in home runs. Um, they were, I believe, bottom five in total runs scored. So they needed a another key piece. They needed someone who can 
I mean, he's going to get a lot of RBIs. He's not going to be in Colorado. His stats might not be quite as good as they were there. But, I mean, I think this is a necessary move for them um, looking to win this division next year. So I like it from their standpoint. And with Colorado, I mean, they might lose Trevor Story. Uh they were under 500 last year. They're in a really tough division. So I uh, I mean, I kind of expected them to head in this direction because I think it's best for their ball club. Yeah, I think for the Rockies' point of view, I think it's about time you start to uh, start blowing things up just because of the state the Dodgers and the Padres in are, they are in that division. Um, the Rockies, we know made the wild card game like three years ago, or actually they made back-to-back wild card games three or four years ago. They lost the Diamondbacks and then they beat the Cubs. But yeah, their, their window, their championship window that was small is now closed and they're going to, they got rid of Arenado. It'll be interesting to see if they get rid of story as Colin mentioned, maybe Charlie Blackman, um, maybe a couple other guys. And for the Cardinals, I, I do agree with Ben. They're now the favorite to win the division. My only concern now with the Cardinals is, A, who they're going to give up, up for Arenado, if they're going to give up any major league caliber players, or um, if they're just going to be prospects. And when I'm looking at the Cardinals prospect list right now, the Cardinals, I'm a big prospect guy, so I know I know a lot of teams' top prospects. The Cardinals have two really good top prospects, um, Dylan Carlson and Nolan Gorman. Carlson uh, appeared in a couple games last year. He did, he did pretty good, nothing nothing crazy, but he he's a switch hitting outfield that's going to hit for average for power. He's going to be he's going to be a stud. But uh, they have a 20 year old third baseman named Nolan Gorman who he's looking to be a potential like a left-handed hitting Manny Machado um so he's going to be he's going to be really good and since him and Nolan both they have both Nolans um I'm assuming Nolan Gorman is going to be a part of that trade going back to Colorado because that just makes sense um so I'm assuming Nolan Gorman's going to be shipped off and then probably a pitcher because everyone knows the Rockies need pitching. So it, whether it be a Matthew Libertor or a Zach Thompson um, or a Junior Fernandez, guys like that out of the Cardinal system that are not top-tier guys but solid could be potentially shipped away. Uh, but for major league ready players, you can ha- see young guys like a Tommy Edmonds or a uh, uh, Tyler O'Neill. Harrison Bader possibly get shipped off. I don't know. It's going to be very interesting. But for the Cardinals, I still do think they need a pitching help to convince me that they're going to win the division as an obvious biased Cubs fan. The thing is, I I I totally agree with your um with your point on Gorman to the uh to the Rockies making too much sense. The thing is is. One, based on what I read from Ken Rosenthal last night, Ken Rosenthal last night after the trade, some names possibly going to the Rockies, and it was Austin Gomber, Luke and Baker, Juan Torres, Jake Woodford, or Angel Rondon. So out of those potential names he lists, we don't see him anywhere in those names. And the reason why 
I think the Cardinals might get around this without that is because there's so much to work out with Arenado. There's a lot of money that has to be exchanged. And um, Arenado has a no trade clause and a contract opt out, which according to some rumors, he wanted to keep that, that opt out and get it another year after 2022. So that is why I completely agree. If I'm the Rockies, I, I would have wanted him back for sure. But I just think it's kind of complicated that we could end up seeing this trade getting done without a, a top prospect going back. Yeah. Just on the circumstances. The, those guys you listed, they're more I, – I saw that tweet too, and I was a little shocked by it because those guys are like tier three, tier four kind of prospect yep. guys. And I was thinking the same thing. Even if even if you're the Rockies and you get a guy like Nolan uh, Gorman, pretty much if you just get him and maybe like a tier three guy, I still think that's a win because you're not going to re-sign Arenado um, after this year. So you try to get as much out of it. It's just that the Cardinals feel confident if they are. But, I mean, the Cardinals, they have a solid roster. They have Paul Goldschmidt, Paul DeYoung. Um, I mean, they just signed Wayne Wright. They'll probably sign back Yachty just because they're the Cardinals, the same old Cardinals. But they have they have a solid core around them, and they still have some prospects that we'll see within the next two or three years. It'll be interesting to see if he stays. Um, St. Louis isn't the best city in the world. In fact, it's more of a boring city. Shout out Chris Bryant. But, um, yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what Nolan Arenado does this season without the uh, high altitude and in a less flashy city, let's just say. Yeah, um, I like him in that lineup because obviously he's got protection with with Paul Goldschmidt in that lineup as well. Not that Trevor Story wasn't a good guy in the Rockies lineup, but um, I really like Paul Goldschmidt. It's just, I think this is, is something we may not see finalized for another day or two just because there's so much complicated stuff to work out. Oh, but, yeah. Um, I don't know. We could see this trade. We could see this trade either one start a fire sale for the Rockies, which we will see. I read, so I read um, another tweet about the Rockies turning their focus to try and lock up Trevor story. Now, now that they've got a Arenado, we'll see if that comes true or whether or not he gets shipped off. But then two, we could also see this where now the reds kind of realize, Oh, we have to go like actually trade for a shortstop. Now we can't let this, this Cardinals team, because I don't think it's a far stretch to say if the Reds were to get a shortstop that they could compete in that division because the Reds still have decent pitching and some decent hitters. But I think this could make either them or even the Cubs now. There was an article yesterday about the Cubs are going to increase their payroll a little bit because they believe that there's also a chance to compete and they signed Jock Peterson. So I think this could this trade could make the other teams in Central, specifically the Cubs and the Reds, maybe go for it a little bit more because someone finally made a big move. Yeah, no, it'll – It'll be interesting to see. I think it's been a while since we've seen a major league team have a big fire sale. So I think it's about time we have one of those. I'm not going to root for it necessarily, but I think it'll be interesting to see a guy like Trevor Story, if he does go play in Cincinnati, which that would be scary to me as a Cubs fan. Or if you see a guy like Charlie Blackman, maybe switch over to the American League and become a DH somewhere. Um, it'll be It'll be very interesting to see what will happen there because – the Dodgers and Padres, they're going to be competing for probably not only the division, but probably the number one seed in the National League and that number one wild card spot for a couple of years to come now. So 
it'll be it'll be interesting to see. And those Dodgers and Padres teams do still have their top prospects, so they will be solid for a couple years now. And yeah, just to add one more thing back to what I was saying about this trade affecting the other teams in the NL Central, as uh, um, both as C. Trent Rosencrantz reported, Cincinnati beat writer, his he reported earlier today, the Reds are still pursuing a starting shortstop through the trade market now since the free agent ones are off the board. So like I said, this could maybe want, make the Reds want to go for a bigger name shortstop in the trade market rather than uh, settling for maybe someone like Ahmed Rosario from Cleveland. Um We'll, we'll see, though, whether this this makes them want to go for more of a star caliber like Trevor Story. Yeah, and uh, I also just wanted to mention uh, Arenado. I'm not saying he's leaving the Cardinals, but he does, with his big contract, have a player opt-out available after 2021 and 2022. So, I mean, that's something to keep in mind if, I don't know, if the next two seasons were to go to shit and – how many? How much money is he getting paid right now? Because he, he also might just opt it out of a money situation rather than St. Well, Louis. His base salary this upcoming season and the season after that are both thirty-five thousand or thirty-five million dollars. Oh, okay. Um. Yeah, he does. He can also make some incentives. Uh. And also, the Rockies are paying about fifty million dollars of his remaining contract. Yeah. All right, interesting. All right, we can uh, move on to college basketball now. Colin, why don't you uh, tell us some of the big games that happened in college basketball this week? So, uh, I mean, this is still going on as I speak, but this weekend the big thing in college basketball is the Big 12 SEC uh, Challenge. Um, we yes. see these every year. Um, a big one earlier in the year is the Big 10 ACC Challenge. That one's always good. This one has brought a lot of good games. Um, today, earlier, we saw uh, Alabama, number nine Alabama, and number 24 Oklahoma. Uh, this one was in Norman. So the Oklahoma had a home game, and they took down Alabama 66-61. Oklahoma now has beaten since our last – I'm sorry, not since our last episode – in the past week now, they have beaten three top 10 teams. They beat Kansas, Texas, and Alabama. And they have number 10, Texas Tech, coming up on Monday night. So keep an eye on that one. Oklahoma is hot right now. And they were without their leading scorer. So that just goes to show um, how good of a team they have been recently. We saw a couple upsets. Well, we saw in the Big Ten, we saw Penn State beat Wisconsin today. Uh, that was a big upset. Five and seven Penn State beat Wisconsin. And we also saw Illinois and Iowa face off the other night. Iowa without one of their best players, but still a very good game. And Illinois came out on top a few points uh, at the end. And Ben, we had a uh, – we had a big game earlier today, Missouri, number 12, Missouri, TCU. Tell us what happened in that one. That was a great game down to the wire with um, about four, four-ish minutes to go in the uh, second half. Uh, TCU was starting to pull away, or at least it looked like. And then as we got down to the wire, Mizzou gets possession with under 10 seconds to go. They missed the game tying three, but then get the offensive rebound, 
kick it out, and then hit it. that time they do hit the game tying three, and with 3.9 seconds to go, they knot the game. It goes into overtime, and then Mizzou ended up pulling away with some clutch rebounds and a couple free throws at the end of the game. Um, so huge for Missouri, who just lost a couple nights ago to Auburn. They really cannot afford to lose this one and, uh, and, and get their fourth loss. So this was huge for them. They were a, a missed three-pointer with a couple seconds to go away from losing. But thankfully, they were able to come through and then pull away in overtime. So a big home win for them. They've got, they've got some big SEC matchups coming up. So it's good, it's good for them to stay right at that three-loss mark. And, uh, yeah, they've got some big ones coming up. I know we talked about it a couple of days ago, um, their matchup with Alabama in a few weeks. So that one could definitely be one to watch and completely change the landscape of the SEC in, in the final standings. Yeah, they play Bama uh, February 6th, I believe, next Saturday. And – they had two guys today score over 30 points, Henson and that other guy. So 200 total points scored in that game. That was uh, fun to watch some of that. Also, for Mizzou, um, that was one of their their highest scores, and I believe since 2006 when they had a player score 40 points. So it's been a long time we've seen see someone do that for for the Mizzou basketball team. So it was it was a great offense performance. I'd actually be interested to find out when the last time a college team has had two guys score over 30, because that is very rare for that to occur. Yeah. Um, also in the SEC, when we talk about the best team in the SEC, you got Mizzou, you got Bama. You also got Tennessee, who is currently playing Kansas and are up 15 points uh, with 18 minutes remaining in the game. So Tennessee's looking nice. Um, yeah, that, that's, that's pretty much what happened in college basketball today. You have Virginia and Virginia Tech facing off two ranked teams. Uh, Virginia's playing very good basketball. They're up eight points right now in the second half. It's a lower scoring game. Uh, am I missing anything? Did anything else big happen in college basketball this week? Nothing, nothing else. Um, that comes to mind um yeah just i mean just looking forward going to looking forward ahead at conference championships yes our uh conferences like the sec big 10 and big 12 are going to be very interesting because a lot of those conferences you see teams just constantly beating up on each other so it's going to be interesting to see within probably the next month month and a half if one of these teams out of these conferences kind of pulls it away, because we've seen teams like Illinois struggle out of the Big Ten that we thought were going to have a chance not only to compete in their conference, but compete for a national championship. Um, teams like Tennessee that were ranked in the top ten earlier this year are are now you know ranked outside of the top fifteen. So it's gonna be it's gonna be very interesting to see if one of these teams if they can get the ball rolling and get hot. Yeah, it's – I've been loving college basketball season because a lot of the, you know, big blue bloods, Duke, Kentucky, North Carolina, uh, even Kansas aren't great this year. And you see a lot of the more experienced rosters, um, the ones that have really been building up the past few years, uh, are all playing very well. And I love that there's three really good conferences that all have really good teams at the top. Uh, one other thing I want to mention uh, – Auburn, although they haven't been great this season, they're now 10 and 8. They lost to Baylor today. They have a freshman. His name is Sharif Cooper. He's a 6'1 point guard from uh, Georgia, I believe. 
he's averaging – he's only played like six, seven games so far this season. Uh, he came back from injury. And since he's averaging like 22 a game, true freshman. So that's uh, that's the player who's really stood out to me in the past week or so. All right. I think we can uh, move over to NBA. Also, Colin, what is happening in the NBA? Well, in the NBA tonight, we have a big Lakers-Celtics game. The Celtics are finally getting healthy, and the Lakers are on a two-game losing streak, which is their first of the season. They haven't lost two games since the beginning of the bubble, actually. So uh, rare for that to happen. They had a really good game against Philadelphia Wednesday night. It was the top team in the West versus the top team in the East. And Philly came out on top one point when uh, we saw the Lakers had a little comeback. They went on like a 10-0 run at the end of the game uh, to make it a game. Anthony Davis uh, had a go-ahead bucket with, I want to say, about 10 seconds remaining. And then the Sixers came down and Tobias Harris hit a nice little pull-up. Tough shot. Uh, with about two seconds left in the game, and the Sixers got the win. It was maybe game one of the best games of the season thus far. Uh, two really good teams. The Sixers, uh, Joel Embiid might be the front runner for MVP right now. He's certainly in the conversation. He's been having a fantastic year. Ben Simmons has kind of been having a down year, but he still flashes brilliance at times. Very good defender. He'll give you a triple-double occasionally. Uh, We know how good his vision is. And the Sixers added, I mean, Danny Green is still a quality three-point shooter at times. He's just really consistent. And Seth Curry, who has been, I think he's top five in three-point percentage in the league so far this year. So Philly does have a couple more shooters than they did last year, which is was their main need. Um. So yeah, they're a very well-rounded team. They have their flaws. They might not they might not be the best team in the East, but they have certainly been a surprise thus far. And uh Brooklyn is now up to the two seed in the East. Last night I didn't watch it, but it was the most I mean, their past couple of games have just been the most Brooklyn net score possible. They won 147 to 125 last night in regulation, obviously scoring about 150 points in an NBA game in four quarters is pretty insane without Kevin Durant too. So their offense is really taken off. And uh, yeah, before that they had a 132 to 128 game against Atlanta. So scoring a lot of points, giving up a lot of points. They're certainly a fascinating team to keep an eye on. And uh, when you have three great players like that in the same team, it's, you know, they're going to they're gonna win a lot of games. And today they signed Iman Shumpert, and there's speculation that they may go for Andre Drummond if he's bought out by Cleveland. That yeah, would be, be a fascinating move if they were to go after Andre Drummond because, um, like you just mentioned, with them, um, with the high-scoring games and the high-scoring amount that they're giving up, um, I'm not saying that Andre Drummond is going to fix all their problems, but having – his presence, at least down low, I think would go a long, long way. And then obviously we know he can score as well. Yeah. 
even if they get a guy like JaVale McGee, um, I think it's going to really benefit Brooklyn just having somebody at center. Because I haven't watched Brooklyn a whole lot, but I can only imagine them having lack of big man. Sometimes they're running out the small ball unit, having Kevin Durant, having him to play center sometimes. So, I mean, it's they, they need a get big guy, even though it's a small ball league now. I agree. When you're playing the Joel Embiid's of the world or the Anthony Davis's of the, of the world, you need um, at least somebody who you can throw out there for 20 minutes and uh, contest those guys. Um, that would be huge for them to get it. Even, like you said, a JaVale McGee, I think that would be very nice for them. Uh, oh, and shout out Utah Jazz. I know you're a big Donovan Mitchell guy. They've yes. won 11 straight now, I believe. Yeah. My pick for second in the West. Yeah, they kind of blew out Dallas last night. Uh, They got to get Lucas some help, man. Lucas has been doing his thing, but Porzingis has been struggling. and Well, I don't want to say struggling, but he hasn't been like all-star caliber. So Them them losing Seth Curry really hurt. Obviously, I don't think that's any groundbreaking news, but that hurts. Oh, yeah, certainly, because he – He's a very underrated player. I mean, when you have a guy that can come in and knock down threes like that for you, I, that's such a crucial part in today's game. Uh, so, yeah, Dallas has not been very good. They're under 500, and Utah is now number one in the West, which I don't think anyone really saw at this point. I mean, I know you had them second in the West, but they've been surprisingly very good. Jordan Clarkson – uh, he's got to be sixth man of the year right now. He's my pick, been, my pick for sixth man of the year. He's been great. I don't remember who my pick was. I got to go back and. We listen. are gonna have to review that and do an episode at the end of the year and see where. Oh, we're for right sure. Where we were wrong. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Clarkson's looking really good. He's their second leading scorer behind Donovan Mitchell. We know what Rudy Gobert brings to the team. Uh. You know, he's still one of the best defensive players in the game, regardless of what Shaq says. <laughs> he, uh, maybe he doesn't deserve the Supermax contract that he got, but he, you, can't just get, you can't just let a guy like that walk. Mike Conley's been very good for them, too, and they got uh, they have Bogdanovich playing, who did not play for them in the bubble last year. Yeah, it'll be I, – I, I've watched the Jazz for a couple years now, and it always just seemed like they were, they were missing something or they, they were just another year away but they'd always play have like a tough playoff matchup in like the first or second round that really screwed them. It's going to be interesting to see because we're at, I'm going to go on a limb and say they're probably going to get a top three seed in the West as if they continue to play how they are now. So they'll get maybe not an easy first round matchup, but one that they'll be favored in that and in possibly the second round too. So we could potentially see the Jazz be playing for a spot in the NBA Finals, which – It'll be interesting to see how the NBA rigs them not getting into a finals because of their small market. <laughs> um, also, I don't know if you guys have been uh, keeping an eye on this man. Bradley Beal has been playing out of free his Bradley Beal. They need to free Bradley Beal because he is one of the better scorers in the league right now. And the Washington Wizards have lost – seven of their last eight. 
This man is not getting any help, not even from Russell Westbrook. Westbrook is averaging as many shots, shot attempts as he is points. Uh, he is not playing very good basketball. He's turning the ball over at a high rate as well. Uh, get Bradley Beal some help. He's averaging about 35 points a game, and they're probably the worst team in the NBA. When is the NBA trade deadline? You know, that's interesting. Uh, is I believe it's usually in February. Okay, like, isn't it like a couple weeks after, like, the All-Star game? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's usually okay. from the All-Star game, but, you know, everything's different this year. I yeah. believe it's it, it for March 25th this year. Okay. So later than yeah. you obviously, because the season started later. So still yeah. lots of time for something like that to happen. And I did see that if Washington were to trade him, I mean, this was based on an agreement they made when he signed his long-term contract, is they would um, send him somewhere of his preference. Um, you know, if he gave them a list of, I don't know, like three teams that, uh, you know, that he thinks he can win on or be, you know, want to live in that city, whatever it may be, they would grant that request. Yeah, maybe in the future we'll probably have to do a uh, maybe like a list or a segment to see where Bradley Beal should go. Yeah, and you know what? Interesting to see if Brooklyn goes and gets an Andre Drummond, I could see the Lakers going all in on Bradley Beal. I could see them saying, "Take some of our take Montrezl Harrell, take KCP, take Kyle Kuzma. I don't know, take." You know, first round picks, Role whatever. Players. Halen Horton Tucker. I mean, yeah, it'll be. They're gonna. They would. It would be tough. I don't know if Washington would want to do that. Um, but you know, just a thought. I could definitely yeah. see going all in for him to counter Brooklyn. All right, I think we're gonna go over to this week in sports. Um, we kind of touched on all of our sports. So this will be very short. Before we get into our new segment. So, Ben, start us off with this week in baseball. All right. So, yeah, like you just said, we've already covered, obviously, the Arenado thing. Um, I talked about a little how the Reds are still in the market for a shortstop. The A's are in the market for a shortstop as well because they lost Marcus Simeon to the Blue Jays. So, look for those two teams. I think the Reds will probably try to go splashier because the A's tend to not spend as big. Obviously, not, not that the Reds do. I just think the Reds will try and go for a splashier move for a shortstop. So look at, look at those two teams. Um, and then some of the deals we've seen in the last couple of days, Eddie Rosario, former twins outfielder now goes to Cleveland stays in the division. He signed a deal in Cleveland. So he will take over one of their outfield spots. And then obviously I wouldn't be talking about the Reds needing a shortstop. If Didi Gregorius didn't agree to a deal with another team, which he did, he signed a two year, $28 million deal to stay in Philadelphia. Um, I don't think this is a huge shocker, he uh, he was there last year, and then we we all kind of know that he he is always like Joe Girardi was his manager for the Yankees when he was first there, and then um, his manager now in Philly. So not a huge shocker that he went back there, and um, so yeah. And then the last couple of things, Daniel Murphy, we saw him have one of the greatest postseason stretches back in 2015 for the Mets. Um, he has retired from baseball, so um, wish him the best, whatever he's doing in in the future. And then last but not least, a couple, couple other things. Um, 
Nelson Cruz is still on the market and the twins remain in talks with him. There's been some White Sox rumors, but there's also been conflicting reports. The White Sox aren't going to spend money on him. So um, I think right now there's a good chance he goes back to the twins. But we'll have to see on that. And then also today, um, Trevor Williams, former Pirates pitcher, not a splashy move, but he goes to the Cubs. Cubs are trying to fill out the rotation. And um, we'll see if that's the last starting pitch that the Cubs go for. There was a rumor yesterday about them potentially looking at our Jake Arrieta reunion on a lower deal. So um, I'm sure I'm sure that's one. Um, it, it makes too much sense, but we'll, we'll see if that actually, actually works out. I know there's going to be teams that have injury concerns with Arrieta, so um, – I would assume he'll be throwing in front of some people before he gets a deal, kind of like Kluber did. You know, with the go ahead, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say, why would the White Sox not go all in for a Nelson Cruz? I mean, I, that I, is the most obvious thing. Yep. And I, I read that that um that same that same source that said that they they weren't necessarily gonna go all in, and it, it didn't make sense to me because that I feel like would be a perfect signing for them. And obviously we don't know if Nelson Cruz would want to go there, but I just feel like Reinsdorf should at least go after him. Obviously we don't know how true that source was, but if they're actually not making an attempt, I feel like, I feel like that's a missed opportunity for the White Sox. I mean, although they do have um, Andrew Vaughn coming up soon, I mean, we know that he can mash baseballs, but you're in win now mode. And this is the guy that, killed you far more than any other player in the league last year i mean we played the twins a lot and he was matching homers every game so and then you'd be taking if you were to get him you'd be taking him away from your top rival your top uh the top team you're contending with so i mean it's it's kind of sad to hear that they're not interested or that they haven't been looking into it and also, I mean, the Marcus Simeon thing to me is kind of fascinating. I mean, he almost won an MVP in 2019. I know he wasn't great last year, but, you know, it's, it's a just, lot of things happened. It's last. sad that um, it's sad that a, a team like Oakland, who should be competing, can't really retain him because they're on such a tight budget. Um, we, it's it's nothing new. We've seen this for years. Obviously, there was a movie made about it, Moneyball, the story of the Oakland Athletics. So this isn't anything new. It's just this a player of his caliber is not someone you usually let walk. But because of money, because there's no like hard salary cap, stuff like that, the big market teams can just go out and buy their way to a victory. And the small market ones like Oakland, who um, who's playing in basically a football stadium, stuff like that, it's, it's, it's just tough for them. Yeah. yeah. And I just want to get one more point in about the Cubs. The Jack Peterson signing, I love the signing. I think it's a great fit. Um, Jack Peterson was obviously on those uh, World Series teams with the Dodgers. He had a very good postseason. He hit very well. Um, played well above his value, only getting it for $7 million. I think it's a steal. I feel like it's a, it's, it's a low-risk, high-reward move. Oh, yeah. I, I love the move. Um, easily slide him in on left field. Probably won't play much against lefties. Um, but in the NL Central, you don't have a lot of dominant left-handed pitchers outside of Josh Hader, but you're only going to see him for an inning. And there's you know, rumors about every him, night. him being potentially shipped. Maybe if the Brewers aren't competing, he could be gone by the trade deadline. Yeah, that is, so it'll be it'll be interesting to see. But I love the fit. Um, I'm sure he'll even get some reps in center. 
Um, maybe play a little first, give Rizzo a day off. But I love the move. And then the Trevor Williams, very underrated. I don't have his stats, but Trevor Williams, I think it was either in 2018 or 2019, was like top three in ERA. Um, he's just been hurt a couple times since then. I'm not expecting he, he does what he, he did back then. But I think he'll be very solid to go along with probably not a top of the rotation in uh, baseball-wise, but I think it'll be very solid middle-of-the-pack uh, rotation for the Cubs, having Hendricks, um, Alzale, Davies, Alec Mills. Now you add Trevor Williams. Yeah, I, I just fact-checked it. In 2018, he did have a 311 ERA. Although yeah, very the, past, good. the past couple of years, he has been pretty terrible. But, I mean, maybe he just needed a change of scenery. So, I, I don't see much risk in that signing at all. And and one more thing I want to throw out there. Um, this isn't this is more just uh something to look out for. We haven't heard any new potential Trevor Bauer suitors, but um there have been reports that a couple of the guys that have offered him deals like the Mets don't really want it to get into a bidding war reportedly. So if, if a mystery team swoops in and just ups their offer by a little bit more, we could see him um potentially potentially change to a team rather than the Mets or Dodgers because reportedly those two teams don't really want to get into a bidding war. So that could be interesting if there's a team that realizes that they have an opportunity and just swoop in. Did you guys see uh, Steve Cohen deleted his Twitter account? Yes. In, in light of the, uh, the the craziness on Twitter with with uh, Robin Hood and everything the last couple of days, I kind of saw it coming, but uh, <laughs> I don't think it's going to affect anything in, in terms of his involvement with the Mets. That'd be the most Mets thing ever. With the whole GameStop, yeah. Dogecoin is down 43% today. They're down to 20, or I'm sorry, 2.8 cents. It was a it was a fun ride while it lasted. <laughs> yeah. All right, um, Colin, is there anything left in this week of basketball? Um, anything, anything at all? I think we pretty much covered it. I mean, we talked about a lot of the big games. Oh, didn't All Star voting start up? It did, yeah. I mean, there's who are, no, who are some maybe maybe don't list out some of the big guys, but maybe get your some votes names. in for Zach Levine. Yes, please. Zach Levine has been having an underrated season. Obviously, I'm a Bulls fan. There's probably some bias in there. But um, get your votes in for Bradley Beal, Zach Levine. Um, Nikola Jokic. Yeah, obviously. That's the, I think we all know that he's going to be, be in there. I'm just saying. I know. The, I, just, I just like saying his name every episode. I mean, we could definitely see a lot of new first-time All-Stars. I mean, we could see a Jeremy Grant with the Pistons. We could see a Colin Sexton with the Cavs. I think he's deserving. Uh, has Zach Levine been an all-star before? Zach Levine has not been an all-star before. That was kind of the whole push last year with it being in Chicago. But uh, he he was kind of one of the few on the outside looking in. But I think this could be be his year. Trey Young just dropped 41 on Washington. We could see Trey Young in the all-star game. Uh, maybe CJ McCollum. I don't know if he's ever been. Uh, I'm not sure if Jalen Brown has ever been. He could, you know, he's a worthy candidate. Oh, speaking of speaking of a uh, Jalen Brown, did you all see with a uh, with a uh, um with Kemba Walker coming back? Obviously, he's been back for a little bit, but he missed time. And Tatum and Jalen Brown have been playing really, really well. Been really aggressive. 
And Kimba Walker said, I don't want them to change their play, play style because I'm in the lineup. I'll be the one to adjust. I want them to be aggressive. I just think that's a really cool veteran move out of Kemba because we know that Kemba can be the main guy in offense. He was for all those years before he came to Boston, but he realizes how talented these young guys are. And he's like, okay, I want these guys to stay aggressive, go do their thing. I'll, t- I'll take my time to shine when they're on the bench and I'm in, but when I'm in the lineup, I'll get them the ball. I just thought that was really cool. And when you taught, when you brought up Jalen Brown, I just, it made me think about that. Yeah. Kemba has been uh, very accepting of his role. I mean, I think when he signed there, uh, I don't think he expected to be their, you know, top dog with, you know, a young Jason Tatum, a young Jalen Brown, who are both stars. So, I mean, I think that's really good for Boston to have a good veteran point guard like that who seems to be a good leader. Um, I know when they had Kyrie, there was some conflict. I know Kyrie wanted to be that top guy. Uh, That's why he wanted to go to Boston. That's why he liked that trade to Boston. Uh, Also, for Boston, uh, Peyton Pritchard, uh, don't sleep on him. He's a rookie point guard from Oregon, and he has been maybe their best bench player this year are certainly one of their best rotational guys. He's averaging eight a game, shooting about 50%. Not rookie of the year good. Um, I think Lamelo's got that right now, but yeah. Oh, also, I mean, this this isn't big news or anything, but we did see the number one and two pick face off a couple of nights ago uh, when the Warriors played the Timberwolves. And they both had good games. I mean, they both Edwards had 25 off the bench, and Wiseman also had 25 off the bench. So they're both they're both uh, inconsistent at times, but both looking good. All right, I think we're gonna go into this week in football. Um, obviously, we're in the dead phase between the championship games and the Super Bowl. Um, the Pro Bowls this weekend. Who knows what they're doing? Um, no one really cares. It's the Pro Bowl. Think they're playing like Madden or some shit. Um, can't be too much worse from what they've done in years past. But um, all, the only other storylines of the NFL is the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes. Every every day we're gonna hear some sort of reports on it. The latest ones is that um, the 49ers are now a team that could potentially go for. Me personally, I don't love the fit just because I think Deshaun needs to go somewhere where they are going to throw the hell out of the ball, a la Chiefs, a la Bills, somewhere where they're going to throw the ball. And I think Kyle Shanahan's going to be too focused on running the football, and that's been effective for him for years now. Um, Stafford, he's more than likely going to be on the move, so it's going to be interesting to see if teams maybe like the Niners or the Dolphins or the Jets Maybe they don't get a Deshaun Watson, but they'll get a guy like Stafford. That'll be interesting to see. But I think the biggest takeaway out of the NFL was the press conference for Nick uh, Sirianni. I think that's his last name. Sirianni. Sirianni. Something. I don't know. Um, not not a great interview. Anti Dan Campbell type type press conference. Yes. 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 Um, it's interesting because Nick was a Philly guy like I wasn't he he was a part of the coaching staff for the Eagles when they won the Super Bowl he's been left, with Frank Reich for a while yeah then they left to go to Indy and now he's back in Philly 
and his press conference, he botched it. Um, if you haven't seen the video, please go watch the video. He uh, he wants to run a smart offense. I think he I think he established that a couple times, but it was it was rough. It was really rough. But um, it'll be interesting to see what happens to Philly. Well, we I feel like every time that we see uh like a coach's first like press conference or whatever his first what a, you know talk with the media and if there's ever anything that's like like the Adam Gase thing where his eyes go <laughs> wide and he's like creeping people out any anytime there's like a weird press conference or whatnot um it never seems to go too well and I think I think that's fair I think Campbell and I think Sirianni's his name those were the two hirings I was most skeptical about when I heard about them and researched these guys. Uh, and neither of them, you know, made a great impression on me. So as a fan, I wouldn't be feeling too great right now. Uh, I've definitely seen better first com- press conferences. Speaking yeah. speaking of press conferences, I think my favorite of all time, or one of them still has to be when Mark Trestman was coaching the Chicago Bears and completely botched what he was trying to say and ended up saying we are going to be selfish and undisciplined. Um, <laughs> clearly not what he meant to say, but I still think that was one of my favorites. And we all know how his tenure turned out. Uh, he was gone after two years with Chicago. So It's just like I feel like these dudes, when you're a head football coach of an NFL team, and you're struggling to get words out. And I mean, because we all mess up when we're talking. And I mean, it's, you know, so we, but when you're a head coach of an NFL team, if you can't speak publicly and you can't, you know, have the confidence when you're speaking, you just seemed unprepared. I don't know. It's not a great impression. Uh, not exactly what you're looking for for a leader of your football team. All right, I think we're going to go right into our brand new segment. Um, we're just going to call it the top five. All of us, we're going to have a certain category, certain topic, and we're going to list our top fives. And I think we're going to do it is we're going to all say our number fives, then say our number fours, and then just go up from there. Um, our This category for this episode is our top games of the 2020-2021 NFL season. Now, um, we'll just start off with number five. Colin, give us your number five game this year. Okay, so I want to throw out a few honorable mentions because yep. there are so many, you know, great games. I, I was, let's, you know, let's let's do honorable mentions at the yep. end. Let's do them at the end. Oh, okay, okay. So my number five, I had Titans Ravens. It was week eleven. That okay. was the game that. Uh, you know, they were beefing pregame. It was their first matchup since the playoff game last year. And Henry had the game-winning touchdown in overtime. It was like a 30-yard touchdown. That was a great game. Uh, and there's a whole thing with them being on the logo pregame, whatever. Yeah. So I had that um, five to the top right. the AFC. Ben. What was your number five game of the year? So my number five game of the year is uh this was week five Sunday night football. It was Minnesota versus Seattle. This was when primetime Seattle, every single game Seattle played on primetime was a great one. 
I really thought this was a great game because how it ended. Um, it was back and forth all game. Minnesota jumped out to lead. Then Seattle came back. Minnesota scored a couple touchdowns to Adam Thielen. And then we see them make the decision. They could have kicked a field goal to go up eight points, but they're like, no, we came here to win. We don't want to give the ball back to Russell Wilson. They go forward on fourth and one. They run it to Alexander Madison and get stuffed. They don't pick up the first down. So then, okay, all right. Russell Wilson still has to go 90 yards to win the game. Fourth and long, they hit a deep ball to DK Metcalf. And then again, they're fourth and goal, just under 20 seconds to go. And um, they get a touchdown on a slant route to DK Metcalf to give them the one-point victory. It was an insane game. I thought it was a really, really good one. Because um, at the time, it was it was one of, another one like DK Metcalf, like, I am here. One of those, like, arrival games. He played great, had two touchdowns. And it was just a classic Minnesota blew it on primetime. We've seen them do it the last couple of years. Uh, and it, this put the, the Seahawks at 5-0, and and at the time it made them look like one of the best contenders in the NFL. All right. My number five game this year came out of week 11, um, Packers-Colts. Very underrated game. Um, Rodgers had a really good game, but I think we all remember from that game it got thrown away. I forget if it was either late in the fourth quarter or overtime when uh, – MVS, Marquez Valdez, Scantling had the crucial fumble that eventually lost them the game in overtime, but a 34-31 overtime thriller. Did we all watch that game together? We did. we did. Yeah, no, the, the Valdez-Scantling fumble in overtime was crucial because then the Colts yes. just had an easy field goal for the win. So, yeah, yes. that was a good one. Um. All right, let's go. I'll start us off with number four. Um. Number four, very early in the season, week two. In fact, it was the NFL debut of one Justin Herbert. Um, it was actually last minute. No one knew he was going to start because of Tyrod Taylor's. Wasn't it like his heart condition or something? He had his uh, lungs punctured. His lungs. Yeah, that's what doctor. it was. But yes. Um, <laughs> but uh, Justin Herbert, I think, threw for like 300 yards at a great performance. But the Chiefs were able to come back late. And Butker, I remember, uh, hit like three straight 50-yarders because there was like a timeout, there was like an offside, and then he actually hit the game winner. Very, very good game. Ben, what was your number four? All right, my number four, I feel like this game, some people forget about. This was week seven in Cincinnati, Cleveland versus Cincinnati. This is a game where Baker Mayfield started off looking really, really bad, had a bad interception that Odell Beckham ends up getting hurt, trying to make a tackle on, tears his ACL, he's out for the year. But then it ended up just being a back-and-forth thriller. Joe Burrow played great, and then after that, um, Baker Mayfield led Cleveland down for the win with a game-winning touchdown to Donovan Peoples-Jones. So Cleveland ended up winning that one 37-34. Um, this was a noon o'clock game. I mean, I don't – it was probably one that I think a lot of people missed because it wasn't that big window. It's in Cincinnati. Um, but this was a really, really good game for Baker Mayfield. Didn't start off well, but I feel like this this was kind of what started him on on the streak that we saw him carry through for most of the rest of the year. And Colin, what was your number four game of the year? I, at this one, maybe this should have been higher. I had Bill's Cardinals, the Hill Murray. One of your favorite games. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, it was – I just had to put it there because, you know, it's two 
uh, two young, exciting quarterbacks were facing off. Both were playing great. Uh, it felt like a it felt like a big matchup uh, in the middle of the season, and Hopkins played outstanding, uh, and he caught the game winning Hill Mary, obviously. So that was a very exciting game all around. The best the best play of this season, probably. Yeah, agreed. All right, let's go number three. Ben, start us off. All right, so um, I'm basically. My number three was the Hill Murray game, so obviously not a lot to say about that. Um, the fourth quarter of this game was absolutely incredible. A lot of people are going to forget about that Josh Allen to Stefan Diggs touchdown that uh, could have won them that game. But I, th- I think what's what was huge about this game is the fact that the Bills losing, I think, helped motivate them to go on the winning streak. They didn't lose again the rest of the season until the conference championship. So is is it sucks that it was a loss for them, but I think this really helped get them going for the rest of the year. All right. My number three game of the year was actually in the first round of the playoffs. The Browns get their first playoff win in forever. It feels like Um, maybe not the most competitive game, but I think just watching Cleveland beat up on a team that has beat them up for 15 years now, ever since Roethlisberger has been there was very reassuring, not only for NFL fans, but for Browns fans. Colin, your number three game? Yeah, my number three game was the one Ben mentioned earlier with the Vikings and Seattle. Uh, I had that game there because it was the prime time. Uh, It was looking like the prime time Kirk narrative was going to die and that they were going to get a big prime time win on the road. Uh, and then Russell Wilson, who at that time was the MVP, uh, went down and crushed their hearts. Uh, he got the there, you know, there was something else on at the time of this game that I was watching. The Lakers, was it the Lakers? It was when the Lakers were the finals, finals. Yeah. yep. Okay, because I remember after the Lakers game flipping over to this and watching like the final few minutes play out. And that was when we had the whole controversy, the whole argument, like, should the Vikings go for this? Do they take the field goal? Just do they take the field goal, make it the eight-point game, or do they go for one yard in the win? They went for it, didn't get it. And like I expected, and I'm sure a lot of other people weren't surprised by it, Russell Wilson went down and scored with about 15 seconds left. So very exciting game. All right. Um, Colin, start us off with your number two. Game of the year. Number two game of the year was another Seahawks prime time. It was week seven. They were at Arizona. And this is the game. Arizona kind of shocked the world. And I think there was well over a thousand yards of offense in this game. It was very exciting. Uh, We, I mean, the one play everyone kind of remembers from this is the Buddha Baker interception where DK Metcalf chased him down and tackled him uh, at like the five yard line. So uh, the Cardinals play get great in this game. This is, I remember we, everyone was talking about the Seahawks. They're like, the Seahawks can't play a normal football game because they're all just complete madness. And the over, I think the reason that this game was so awesome was because of how high scoring it was. And then in overtime, there was a lot of 
defense. The Cardinals uh, went down there. Or they got the stop. They went down and missed a field goal. And everyone was like getting on uh, Cliff Kingsbury, making the wrong decision. And then Isaiah Simmons had that interception, and they went down and scored. So that was my number two. All right, Ben, what's your number two? So my number two, and after I say this one, you'll probably be able to figure out what my number one was, but my number two is actually the Lamar Jackson uh, trip to the bathroom game where Baltimore came out with a 47-42 victory over Cleveland. Um, This one was awesome. Monday Night Football in Cleveland. Cleveland was hot. This was really when Baltimore started to get it going. Um, And really, it was kind of just back and forth. You kind of felt like whoever – was going to have the ball last with a decent amount of time was going to win the game. Um, Obviously Cleveland got the ball at the end, but uh, they obviously had no time to go score, but the, the way, the way it worked out um, Lamar coming back out of the locker room and throwing the touchdown to Hollywood Brown and then Cleveland ties the game and then Baltimore kicking a go ahead field goal was just absolutely Absolutely insane. And then we know we had the safety on the last play of the game on the attempted hook and ladder, which screwed with some people's bets. But just it was super high scoring. Kareem Hunt played well. Lamar Jackson played great. Nick Shell played well, too. So it was there were a lot of stars on both sides, both sides in this one. All right. My number two game, I agreed with Colin, was the Seahawks Cardinals week seven overtime game. One of my favorite things about that that goes untalked was um, – the first attempted field goal the Cardinals have, Cliff Kingsbury actually iced his own kicker. Um, I think that was very funny. And then my number one game of the year, as Ben just mentioned, the Lamar Jackson poop game. Um, we got a little bit of everything. We got a lot of offense. And we even got a little Trace McSorley. So I think that, in my opinion, was hands down the best game of the year. Colin, what was your number one game of the year? The number one game of the year was Ravens-Browns. I agree with you guys. I mean, I don't know what Ben has at number one, but it's a very good game. Uh, Lamar did poop his pants, or he was about to. Uh, I don't care what anyone says. (laughs) Did get a Trace McSorley sighting. That was awesome. Uh, There's a lot of big plays in this game. Uh, it was just a classic shootout between, you know, two teams on the rise, two teams who were hot. And, yeah, I mean, at the time, I think we all said this is the best game of the year. It was awesome all around, very high scoring. And, yeah. Yeah. And, Ben, what is your number one game of the year? So, not too much creativity. I just flopped my uh, one and two with you guys. I just thought – it was the the way that game played out. There was there was so much, I guess, meme material with the DK Metcalf thing, Cliff Kingsbury icing his own kicker, um, Kyler and the Cardinals winning the game is kind of like okay, this team at the time was like okay, this team has arrived. Obviously, they ended up missing the playoffs. They kind of fell off a little bit at the end of the year, but how good they looked, and then just just how back and forth it went. Russell Wilson was awesome. Tyler Lockett played really good. Stuff like that, I um, I just saw – and in this game ending in overtime, that's just why I had it at number one. Yeah. All right. And then – so we can all just list our one through fives. So I had the poop game, 
Cardinals OT game, Brown Steelers playoffs, Herbert's debut, Packers Colts. So my top five was Arizona Seattle at one, Lamar Poop game at two, um, Hail Mary at three, um, arrival of Baker beating the Bengals at four, and then Seattle, Minnesota at five. Um, do you want me to give my honorable mentions now, or do we all want to do that at once? Yeah, cool. go ahead and give your honorable mentions. Okay, I have two different honorable mentions. Number one, all the way back in week two, one of multiple Atlanta collapses. Dallas ended up winning 40-39 to 39 because Atlanta completely forgot how fielding an onside kick worked. That was absolutely insane. Atlanta was up 39 to 24 with about seven ish minutes to go. And then Dallas scores. It was, it was just complete madness. The whole onside thing with them letting it roll, it was perfectly kicked by Greg Zerline, but I don't know what Atlanta was doing. So that was madness. Um, obviously it's nowhere near one of the top games if that onside kick doesn't happen. So that's why like I didn't have it in my top five because it could have just been an Atlanta win without that crazy onside kick. But it was still insane. And then my other honorable mention was New England versus Seattle week two. One of the multiple Seattle can't play a normal game ones. It came down to the last play of the game. Um, New England had it inside the five-yard line. I did not like the play call at all. They went with a design QB run to Cam Newton. He got completely stuffed, um, ended up getting like flipped over. But it was – the Patriots – were so much fun to watch at this point because it, it seemed like they let Cam throw the ball a lot more. Um, I don't know if the, as the season went on, the reason they stopped is because he didn't have receivers or they just didn't like how he was throwing. But Cam played great. Seattle played great. Um, a lot of people didn't see this one because it was way back in week two, Sunday night football, NBA playoffs are going on. But this was a fantastic, fantastic game that came down to the final play. Yeah, it's like – when you, I mean, obviously primetime games feel bigger, but I just love the feeling of when you have this really good game going on, like the Ravens, Browns, Seahawks, Cardinals, uh, where it's like you've, you know, that like all of America is watching. Um, so, like, I don't think Vikings, Seahawks, or Seahawks, Cardinals would be as high on my list if they're like three o'clock games or 12 o'clock games. So, I love that. You know, I, I also have, Falcons Cowboys is an honor, honorable mention because it was just the game that described the Falcons whole season, uh, just co- like epic collapsing. Uh, I also had very underrated game week 11 Chiefs Raiders. Um, the only reason I didn't put this in my top five is because it ended up not being that important, but at the time it was very important. Uh, it was, un, it was un, again, like kind of described the Raiders season, uh, a lot of winnable games and the defense collapses with a minute or minute and a half left. And Mahomes went down the field and had that touchdown to Travis Kelsey. Uh, that was a great game overall. Lots of offense. I also had Steelers Browns week 17. I know this didn't make the list because a lot of the Steelers backups played but it was Cleveland had the win to get in the playoffs and Juju had that touchdown with a few seconds remaining. He did his Corvette dance and then they didn't get the two point conversion. So Cleveland made the playoffs. And then I also had Packers Colts as Donovan mentioned Colts bills was another really good game in the wild card round that came down to a Hail Mary attempt. And 
Raiders Broncos week 17. Nobody watched this game, but it was awesome because I watched it obviously being a Raiders fan. Uh, it was a 32 31 win, and I thought it was awesome because it came down to a two point conversion on the last play of the game. And also, yeah. one more. I, I, I almost probably no one remembers this one, but I, I didn't want to leave it out. Um, back in week one, Bears, Lions, Lions, we've seen them blow some games as well. They held this lead for most of the game. Mitch Trubisky leads a comeback with a big touchdown to Anthony Miller. And then the Lions are driving, have a chance to win the game. Rookie DeAndre Swift in his first NFL game drops what would have been the game-winning touchdown. It was a well-designed play, perfect route. He cut up field. He has the ball, catches it in the end zone, and it just falls right through his hands. Would have been a game-winning touchdown for him in his first NFL game. I'm sure he probably had uh, nightmares after that one, but it ended up being a, a big win for the Bears because if that, if that falls to their fingertips, they end up not making the playoffs, and I believe the Cardinals would have gotten in instead. Yeah. Um, a couple honor mentions I had. Browns-Titans when Baker had like five touchdowns in the first half, something like that. Crazy, great game, another high-scoring game. Um, Browns Cowboys, um, where that was another high-scoring game, and everyone realized, like, oh shit, the Cowboys defense is that bad. And then finally, um, Texans Titans Week 17, when the Texans, it looked like the game was going to overtime. They scored late, and then Vrabel calls the perfect. Fuck it, go deep. Tannehill, A.J. Brown gets him in field goal range. And then people forget the game-winning bank, bank shot field goal um, to not only send the Titans into the playoffs, but to win them the division, which they would then lose to the Ravens in the first round. But uh, great lists. Um, I think this is going to do it for our episode of Tub Talk Sports Podcast. Thank you all for listening, and we will catch you guys Oh, go ahead, Colin. Oh, no, no, it's all good. I'll, I'll cover it on the next episode. All right. Check out our next episode sometime next week. But thank you all for listening, and we will see you guys later.